Father, who art in heaven. Let's affirm our faith together by reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father
Amen. Please be seated. We have uh, two special ladies here to do our special music this morning. So, Holly, you and Campbell, thank you so much.
Thank you, Holly and Campbell. Beautiful, beautiful music, beautiful message and song. I wonder this morning if I asked this question, do you like being left out? Do you like being an outsider? I think the answer is no. I don't like being left out. I don't like being an outsider. I want to talk just a minute with us this morning, a message entitled, The Outsiders. The Outsiders. Colossians chapter 4, if you'll turn there. Uh, We'll read that in just a moment. Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 5 and 6 in just a moment. But before that, I must say this. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse number 1 in the New Living Translation says this. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Now I say that for us to understand that we, we begin this morning... By not judging anyone. We're not the judge. God is the judge. So we have no right to judge anyone. But I do want us to think of that someone that you know that is not a Christian. Perhaps it's a family member. It's a friend. It's a co-worker. Or young people, maybe even a classmate of yours. And while only God knows the heart completely and perfectly, as best as we can tell, this individual that you are thinking of is not a Christian. He or she is not producing any of the fruit to make us believe that he or she is not in God's family. Do you have that face in mind? I want you to think just a moment. Do you have that picture, that vivid picture of that person right now? And I want us under God's leading this morning to take it a step further with this question. How do we plan on sharing our faith with that person This week. This week. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Read this way. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, That you may know how you ought to answer each other. The word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. And now as we look at this message that you have for us, may you speak to our hearts in a clear way. I pray in your name. Amen. Let's look at these two verses together along with a couple of other related passages that go along with this. Right off the bat, we see there in verse number 5, as Paul describes those who have not put their faith and trust in Christ. Those people who are not believers. And he calls those, he refers to to them as those who are outside. And church, as I read that, that verse this week, and as I looked at this, as I prayed over this, I began to think, we as a body of believers, 
must take this very, very serious. When it comes to the spiritual condition of those who are outside of Christ, those not in the body of Christ, those not in the family of God, they're all in a desperate condition. And we as Christians must, get this, we must respond urgently. You go to urgent care because there is an urgent need in your life. We must respond urgently. We need to see the challenge from the words of Paul as he calls us to consider the responsibility and, yes, the privilege of sharing our faith. You see, because a lot of people think it's, that's drudgery. Oh, that's a chore. That's a job to share our faith when it ought to be our a privilege of ours. Go back up, if you will, to verse 2 and 3 and 4 in that chapter 4 of Colossians. Listen to this. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying for us that God will open to us a door from the Word, for the Word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest or make it known as I ought to speak. So Paul says that there, and, and immediately in verse number five, he, he turns to those Colossian believers, and, and after he asks for prayer on their behalf or door to be open to him, Paul says, look, now I want to challenge you. I want to see how your witnessing has been, what your witnessing efforts have been. So on your handout, I wrote two things there for us. Paul focuses here on two indispensable and inseparable parts of sharing our faith. And let's begin with the first one. And that is that of action. Watching our walk. Watching our walk. What is Paul talking about when he says in verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. And immediately I began to think about that word toward. When we are walking towards someone, if I walk towards Mr. Matt over there, I've got to go this direction. I don't go that direction or that direction. So Scripture is telling me that we as believers are to walk toward those outside of Christ. Toward that person that you had that mental picture of in your mind. Paul is saying... To his audience, and he's saying to us today, church, that if we consider ourselves Christians, if we are believers today, that we are to be wise in our lifestyle. We are to be wise in the way that we live before those outside of Christ. And not only that, we are to take advantage. Get this. We're to take advantage of every evangelistic opportunity. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. What is that all about? We walk in wisdom because we know God. We walk in wisdom because we know the Word of God. We walk in wisdom because we know how to apply the Word of God to everyday living. Everyday living. Paul urged the Colossians also in this verse, to redeem 
or make the most of their time. That's what it means. Redeeming the time. Making the most of your time. Let me ask this. Would you agree, because I believe this, would you agree that time is the most valuable commodity available to us? Think about it. Because here's here's why. None of us knows how much time we have, do we? We don't know that. Survey tells us, I read this this week, that in the United States of America, life expectancy is around 80 years of age. But can I say this? Expectancy is no guarantee. Let me give you an athletic example of time, if I may. Those of you who watch sports, many times uh, a team will do what is called managing the clock, taking care of the time. In football, for example, you, you see as the clock is running and the quarterback comes under center and he gets the snap and he spikes the ball in the ground and it stops the clock. In, in basketball, we'll see a, a, a player go and foul another player to stop the clock. We have timeouts in all sports, so you can call a timeout and it stops things momentarily and and briefly. But what eventually happens? The time runs out. The clock stops and the game is over. But get this. In real life, in this life that you and I live, church, there's no such thing as spiking the ball or fouling our opponent. Or calling a timeout. And more importantly is this. Life is no game. Understand this. Life is no game. It's life. It's being born. It's death. That means that we will all die one day. And it's eternity that's living forever. Either forever with God or forever separated from God. So let's look secondly at our speech. Being salty. Being salty. Our actions are very, very important in communicating the faith. Our faith. But, this is what Romans ten seventeen says. Ultimately, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So Paul is encouraging and challenging and urging these Christians here in Coloss in, Coloss, in verse 6 with this. Let your speech always be with grace. Grace-filled speech. He goes on to say that you may know uh, seasoned with salt, seasoned with salt, grace-filled speech, seasoned with salt. And look at that two words, with grace. Let your speech always be with grace. What are we talking about? Well, what are we talking about with grace? It means this. And I wrote down a bunch of adjectives, and, and you, you can probably think of some others. It, it means this, that our speech ought to be filled with that is, which is spiritual and wholesome and fitting and kind and sensitive, purposeful, complimentary, gentle, truthful, loving, and thoughtful. So think about 
the things that we say. And we're all guilty of not having that kind of speech all the time. Flip back with me, if you will, to Ephesians. I want to show you this, Ephesians chapter 4, 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for, uh, for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom uh, you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Grace to the hearers in verse 29. Think about that. Because we have been saved by grace. We have been kept by grace. So therefore, you and I should live and speak with grace. Who set the greatest example? None other but the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Luke 4.22 says this, So all bore witness to Him and marveled, listen to this, and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of His mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Seasoned with salt. We know salt has many uses, but two of those. One is that it adds flavor and, one, and another is it's a preservative. It adds flavor and it's a preservative. As I thought about that, I was reminded that our speech, your and my speech as, a, as Christians, should not only be a blessing to others, get this, but it should also be a purifying influence in the world in which we live. Blessing to others and a purifying influence in the decaying society in which we live. Think about this. When we speak of Christ, when we think and we say something about Christ and about the Christian life, shouldn't it be as appetizing as possible? We've heard that say, boy, that's appetizing. But think about food that is not salted, that is bland. We don't want to eat it. And what do we do? We grab the salt shaker and begin to pour salt on it. It's unappetizing. And our speech is not supposed to be like that as a Christian. I read this this week. Listen, this is pretty interesting. Someone made a comment about personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. And it's in question form. Listen to this. How can we develop... The ability to speak about Christ so that there is an appetizing flavor to it. That's good. How can we develop the ability to speak about Christ so that there is an appetizing flavor to it? I began to think about that question. And my little simple brain thought about this. I think the, amp, the answer is to simply spend time every day reminding ourselves from Scripture why the gospel tastes so good to us. Lots of people can't do that because this is not a part of their life. They don't know what this book says. They don't know how good it tastes. 
And when we don't spend time in God's Word, enjoying Jesus, this is what happens to our spiritual taste buds. They become dull. They become dull. And when the opportunity comes along to put Jesus on display to the world around us, guess what? We let the opportunity slip away because we've forgotten the taste of it. Listen to this. First Peter chapter 3. And one of our very own church members used these verses just recently. It was a blessing to me to hear the testimony that was told to me concerning this. And just so happens that it fits in today. First Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let's stop right here as we get closer to the end. And let's think about this. The only way, the only way your and my speech can be gracious, can be salty, is that if you and I are instruments of grace. If we are, if we're producing uh, the fruit that's talked about in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Let me take it a step further. Church, Christian, believer, grace has got to be at work in our lives before we can season the lives of others. Does that make sense? God's loving and gracious activity and His power must, get this, must permeate our lives. We can't simply turn it on when a witnessing opportunity arises. We must live this day, every day, in grace. And then and only then can we share the good news of Christ that overflows from our hearts. Get that. I have a verse to back that up with. Luke 6.45 What you say flows from what is in your heart. Gracious, salty speech starts on what's on inside of us. Inside of our heart. Let's conclude this way. I gave you two statistics there on your handout. Lifeway Research did a survey And they concluded this survey this way. 80% of faithful churchgoers believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. 80%. Why not 100%? Why not 100%? I read that said only 80%? Get this. Only 61% of those surveyed, however 
had had told another person how to become a Christian in the previous six months. So we share our faith and, and we and we share with someone about how to, to come to know Christ only once every six months. Boy, that gets us off the hook. We only have to do that twice a year. And boy, look at me. I fit into that 61%. How many of us here this morning consider ourselves a born-again believer? Don't raise your hand. How many of you consider yourself a born-again believer? If we say yes, then guess what? Guess what? We have a responsibility to share the most important gift that we have received. And that's the gift of eternal life. By accepting what Jesus, this man, did on the cross for us. And then calling on His name. Sharing our faith, church, takes this. It takes consistency in our walk, in the way that we live. It takes consistency in the way that we speak, in the gracious speech that is seasoned with salt. How serious is this responsibility? How serious is it? May may we... Each one of us, individually and collectively as a church, may we answer God's call to share the gospel with the outsiders before it is eternally too late. And one day it will be eternally too late. That sounds pretty serious to me. What about you? Would you pray? Father, Thank you for this message that you have given each of us. And Lord, it truly is a challenge to us if we call ourselves Christians. Lord, I think it's pretty pathetic that only 80% of churchgoers believe that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. Lord, the way I read your word, it tells me that if we are believers, we don't have any options. It's our responsibility. It's something that we ought to be excited and happy about doing. Telling someone the greatest news ever, even bigger than winning the lottery of billions of dollars, more important than money, more important than relationships, more important than anything on this earth is our relationship with Christ Jesus. And we must share that with those around us. So God, challenge our hearts to do just that. Lord God, that person that we had in our mind earlier in the message, I pray that you would give us opportunity to see that person this week. And to share the gospel with them. Lord, speak to our hearts as we sing this hymn of dedication. I pray in your name. Amen. Our hymn of dedication is number 302. Number 302. Would you make a commitment right where you are today to pray this each day this week?
that God will put that person in your path, or not even that, but that you would make that journey towards them to share your faith with that person that you have in mind. And all of us have at least one person we can share the love of Christ with. Would you do that? You're not making me a promise. You're making a vow and a commitment to Christ. Let's stand as we sing.